I'm Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. You're in the international edition of the Transporter Room. Oh, Carly, there's so much news going on this week. I have to say that I'm really, really worried that this new Supreme Court justice here in the Americas, here in the United States, is going to mean doom, doom, doom for people like you and me. It's, it's going to mean that we're going to have to organize, organize, organize. But, right? No, fuck that. Organizing doesn't mean shit. We are going to be outvoted. We are going to be outclassed. We are going to be removed from society. You can't protest justices who have absolute power. Remember what I told you before, even some of the most reactionary times, the people have won victories and we can continue to do so. But we have got, but it's going to, it's going to be a fight, Don, no matter what happens. It's going to be a fight. I've always been the glass half full to even glass full kind of girl, but not this time. This time, it's fait accompli. There is nothing to stop the Republicans from getting this justice put in. And then once she's in, Obamacare, gone. Obergefell, gone. Roe versus Wade, gone. And more than likely than not, me in America, gone. I'm out of here. I just, I can't. I can't. I can't. Well, before we get to that point, let's be prepared to wear out some shoe leather. The one thing we did right was the day we started the fight. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. And I'm not a glass half empty person or a glass half full person. I'm a glass of water person. There's water in the glass. What are you going to do with it? You can pour it on the ground and nothing happens. You can pour it in the grass and grow some grass or grow some crops. For myself, I, you know me, I'm a believer in revolutionary optimism. That doesn't mean I don't know what is. And Amy Carey Barrett is not what we want. Let's get real about that. No, That's not I'm, I'm a, a person we want. No, we and I, I'm, I, 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 wrote, I was raised in the same faith as her. I know the ideology. I understand where she's coming from. And I'm telling you, I'm a realist. I just, I just can't. I don't think this country is, I don't think this country is going in the right direction anymore. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that you want a revolution. And mm-hmm. what I want to do is get on a plane. And it may come to that. Yeah. I'm um, and sure and, and no, no, Don, don't get me wrong. I, I'm full. I don't say this just because, oh, I'm Pollyanna and everything's fine. No, oh, everything's not you. Not no. Fine. Now I know, and you know me, I am always the optimist. I am always saying there's hope. There's no hope. I'm done. I've been looking up how much ex- expatriates have to pay in taxes. Well, here's my question. If you're going to run from the United States, where do you want to go? Ireland, no doubt. It's the heritage that I have part of in my veins. Uh, my grandparents came here from Ireland, and we had a good run, but I'm going back. Iran uh, wouldn't be a bad place to be. Me personally, I'm kind of thinking, I'm kind of thinking Southern Hemisphere. Mm. I'm thinking New Zealand. Well, there's a lot of good things in New Zealand. Yes, and there is. I would yeah. like to, I would like to invite someone onto the 
transporter room that could tell us all about New Zealand. Set coordinates, please. Setting coordinates for Wellington, New Zealand, our third New Zealander on the transporter room. <laughs> Wait, we're counting now? Okay. Well, I think hey, we're first, first, among, first among equals. Energize, Caitlin, welcome to the transporter room. This is, this is a high honor for me because I, I've read some of your works and I've also seen what you've done as an activist and admired it from about 7,000 miles away. So welcome Who's to the counting? transporter room. <laughs> Only 7,000 miles. It's lovely to be here. Tell us a little bit about what's it like today in Wellington, New Zealand. It's got to be a better day than it is in America. Um, it was actually a lovely day, except for the um, gale force winds. So I went for a <laughs> five-kilometer run around the coast, and most of it was battling into a headwind. So I am very tired. Well, God bless you for running. That's great. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get we're trying to get Dawn to do that couch to five k thing. I'm on the oh, couch. Yeah. I'm, I've, got, I've got that part done. First it nailed. And by the way, your, your new book, I can't, I can't wait to read it because I did order it. Yay. I am so looking, for, I am looking forward to it. But I, I want to quote something from your Twitter. This is your okay. daily reminder that New Zealand law considers my sex to be female and there isn't a damn thing you can do about it. Woo! Where, damn right. Where, where do you get the stamina? to do the fight back that you do and the consistent fight back, especially with the Twitter trolls and the turfs, you, you stand in there. Where do you get the stamina to do it? I think um, I had a pretty, I had a pretty rocky childhood. Um, st some stuff with my parents leaving me and things like that. Um, and I was bullied a lot through school. And I think when you go through the kind of stuff that I've been through, you either, you either learn to survive or it, or it gets you. Um, and I learned to be a survivor. So it's, it's just part of my nature now to keep going. You keep going or you die. And I, I don't want to die. <laughs> when did you come out, Caitlin? And what was that like? Um, so I made a, a very bad and tentative attempt to come out in 1997 when I was an art student and it failed because there was no, there was no information. The internet wasn't really a thing yet. There were no trans websites. No one where I was, um, I was in uh, Waikato. That's where I did art. And there were no GPs. There was no one, no doctors. No one knew anything. So my attempt failed basically. And I decided that there was no way to transition. I couldn't do it. So I joined the armed forces. I joined the army. What wow. was that experience like? Wow. Dealing with um, what you were was, dealing with and being, in the, and being in the New Zealand Army. And you're not alone, by the way. A lot of us seek out these very masculine, very aggressive um, sort of like alternatives to try and like, you know, run away from what we know. And police officers and yeah. construction workers and military folks. Yeah. And athletes. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's that... <laughs> and athletes, yeah, it's the it's the flight into masculinity for me. I for what I need to fix myself. I need to become a man, and I need to make my parents proud. And the most masculine environment I could think of was the armed forces. How did those experiences influence the other thing you're noted for? Your writing. A lot of that experience growing up 
was the inspiration for your current book, Ravenwild. So I wanted to follow my story a little bit because we realized that every trans person's journey is different. And initially we explored the idea when we were writing Ravenwild of trying to come up with sort of um, a generic trans narrative um, that kind of covered all the bases. But we realized, like I just said, that everyone's journey is so personal and so different that we might as well target a, a particular narrative. And because I was writing it, it was mine. So Hawk essentially joins the military, just like I did. We didn't want it to be a big deal in the book. We want it to be done over and done with really quickly. Um, because in the previous two books in the series, the character sexualities are incidental to the storyline. The first book is a, a fantasy love story where the two main characters happen to be gay. And the same with the second book. And we wanted to make sure we did a similar thing with Raven Wild, where it's a world where trans people are accepted. So it's not a big deal. So it's over and done with in, in the first like five pages, I think. I marvel at that whole series because doing this in a children's book, you know what the Twitter trolls, the tourists, the homophobes, and the American oh, yeah. right and the American right are going to say about this. <laughs> what kept you sallying forth and saying, "No, this is what we want to write as authors. This is our art. We're doing this." Um, maybe it's a function of being in New Zealand, where we don't have as that's that element isn't as vocal. Um, maybe we just thought we could get away with it better over here. Um, but also, it's a story that. It's time, it's had its time, and like we tested the waters, well, Chaz and Annam and Jamie, um, they tested the waters with the first two books, and th they were okay, and everyone's like, okay, we can have a, a, a gay love story, we can have a lesbian love story, so it must be time for a trans story as well, surely. Like, if, if there wasn't any huge hue and outcry about the first two books, then we felt we could definitely get away with the third book. And, and what are you reading now as far as uh, what's uh, your sci-fi or fantasy binge? What are you doing now? Or is there a, um, a television show or a, a movie that you're really into? Um, at the moment, I'm reading The Deathgate Cycle by Margaret Wise and Tracy Hickman. They originally wrote the Dragonlance books, which are very famous. What is about these particular worlds that attract, that attract especially trans folks like us i think it's definitely because they're worlds where anything is possible like you've got talking dragons and you've got half um horse half human people so you know someone going from male to, fe male to female is small potatoes in these worlds that must be practically normal <laughs> you've got acceptance you've got a world where people are accepted oh my goodness yeah. what could that be like <laughs> yeah that would wouldn't be that be huge <laughs> yeah. Are you into gaming as well? Um, I used to be more so. I'm a little bit into gaming. Um, at the moment, I'm picking my way through Horizon Zero Dawn, which has just come out on the PC. Is that like Pong? Because that's sort of <laughs> No, very different okay. from Pong. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. I think that's sort of where my... Yeah, my I did actually games. play the original Pong back Yeah, same uh, here. Yeah. Like... 82 or 83 my parents took me to a party and me and my sister got put down in front of i guess it was like an atari or something yeah we thought it was amazing and magical yes it, it still is <laughs> i'm very well, simplistic when it comes to that i sit on my couch and i play pong Excellent. well hey 
I'm more I'm more of an arcade kind of girl myself. So no, the oh yeah, the eighties was going. The eighties for me was going to that arcade. Oh, Space Invaders and Asteroids and all those things. Pac Man, Ghosts yeah. and Goblins. Ghosts, oh, Ghosts and, and Goblins. goblins. I remember. Oh, wow, wow, that was goblins. my jam. So, um, Carly knows all about um my lack of athletic ability, but I would love to hear more about your love affair with sports and, and running and what what running and other things you do means to you because you know as uh the managing editor of Outsports, i can tell you even as a non-athlete there's something about being athletic the, the 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 endorphins you get the ability to feel connected in a way that nothing else in the world gives you tell us a little bit about how that is for you um, so I've always been a runner from a really early age. I don't know when it started, maybe like seven. Uh, it was, I was the fastest. I was always the fastest in my class and the fastest in my year. I was a sprinter and it was great because I got bullied a lot and I could run away from everyone and that was amazing. Um, and it continued to high school um, and I would go to all the track and field meets and I'd do the 100, 200 and 400 meters. But I actually had a really bad run-in with one of the PE teachers. Um, uh, Mr. Nell was her name, I think. And she, um, I, I decided I didn't want to go one year that I, I just, I needed a break that year. I think I was 15. And I, um, yeah, just said, look, I'm not going this year. And she said, I've already like paid for your ride there and the accommodation and everything. And you didn't tell me in time. She gave me four detentions for it. Um, and, and that kind of really put me off. I was like, um, you, you should have the choice to do athletic stuff if you want to or not. Um, that it's your talent. It doesn't belong to the school and it doesn't belong to the PE teacher. It's yours. Uh, and that, that actually, yeah, deeply affected me quite a bit. And I didn't really get back involved in running and sports until I was in the army, which was really good because it's enforced exercise <laughs> it was good yeah there you really can't say no but at least yeah. in school you should be able to <laughs> have a choice yeah exactly um i think it's horrible when kids essentially get bullied into doing sports by their teachers like <sighs> imagine if we tried to do that with like theater or science or something like that a kid just wasn't interested in i mean we don't do that it seems to be sports is one of those exclusive areas where it's some people deem it okay to to push people into these things when they don't want to do them. What are your thoughts on how the TERFs and the transphobes are using sport as the wedge issue? I think it's disgusting, first up, uh, and I think it's really dishonest and really disingenuous because, especially with cases like the New Zealand weightlifter, Laurel Hubbard, uh, oh. all these people who were suddenly, all these people didn't give a fuck about um, weightlifting, women's weightlifting before. It was, a, it was a dead event that no one cared about, which is horrible because women's sports should be elevated and be important. But these people didn't give a shit about this sporting event until Laurel Hubbard was involved in it. And that tells you everything you need to know about why they're throwing themselves behind this issue. It's all about ideology. Nobody cares about Laurel. Nobody cares about the other competitors. They just care about women, women and girls, <laughs> and this completely disinvalidating 
the fact that Laurel is a woman, the fact that you're a woman, the fact that we're women. And by the way, just for the record, when in school, I had to run the 100-yard dash, and I was good at running 100-yard dashes. Put me in the mile, and you'll find me walking. <laughs> but, That's very fair. You mean but, they didn't have to time you with a sundial at 100 meters? No, no, no. They didn't. <laughs> what, they, what, they, what they did was they just had to give me a place to lay down afterwards. That's all. I burned out all my energy running that 100-yard dash. So <laughs> when it comes to turfs, what are they doing in New Zealand? Because here in America, what they're doing is using the court system to try to um, erase victories by trans athletes and force government officials to not give equality to trans athletes by threatening education funding. What are they doing in New Zealand? Um, with regard to sports, they're basically just petitioning different sports bodies in New Zealand and, and telling them that trans women shouldn't be doing sports in New Zealand, but they're being ignored, which is really nice. There's that special sound that means we have to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about coming out and Caitlin's coming out story. This is the Transporter Room. We'll be back. And we're back in the Transporter Room. Your hosts are Carly, Chardonnay Webb, and me, Don Ennis. Caitlin Spice, yes, that is her real name, is our guest. Caitlin, tell us about your coming out story. I'd left the army um, and I'd moved to Wellington, which is a much, much more liberal city than where I was when I was in the army. Uh, and being exposed to the liberal attitudes in Wellington and the people um, and a lot of the friends I made, I realised that the information was there, the doctors were there, and that it was finally possible. And I was in a good place to transition as well. Like. I had some money behind me. I had a decent job. It was in the public sector with the government. So I knew I was probably going to be protected when I transitioned. So it was a lot of things that made it possible. It's sort of a, everything just came together so I could do it. And what year was this? That was 2007. So my family disowned me, unfortunately. That, oh, I boy. guess that's, that's part and parcel of the time that I came out because, you know, pre-2010s, things weren't that fantastic um and I think my mother had always my adopted mother she decided that I was gay and that that was that was it and so when I came out as trans it was <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Yeah, yeah really well can't you just be gay wouldn't that be enough <laughs> yeah and I think she wanted me to be her pet gay and so yeah. she could go out shopping with me and I could pick out clothes for her and it would be very sitcom and quite disgusting really um, yeah, um, and, but as far as support, um, I got a little bit of support from my friends. It was actually, um, kind of surprisingly, the woman at work where I was working at the time, um, in a government department, they were really super supportive. Like when I came out of work, I got all these emails saying like, welcome to the team, welcome to the club and like <laughs> offers to take me out shopping and all sorts of stuff. It was quite astonishing. Um, the men were shit, but the women were amazing. <laughs> well, they usually are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it comes to turfs, my basic attitude is 
to not engage. I, I, yeah. I tried engaging, but there's no convincing them. How about yourself? What is it you do when you're attacked or you are confronted either online or in person or elsewhere? Um, so online, the first thing I do is I go and look at their tweets. I don't engage with them immediately. I go and see what kind of person they are. If they've got like the usual bullshit in their bio and their um, they use a name, then I, I immediately know that they've drunk the turf Kool-Aid and there's no, no point in engaging with them at all. It's only if they look like they might be you know, a, a somewhat ordinary person who might be on the fence, I might tentatively engage with them and ask a few pointed questions to see how deeply prejudiced they are. And that will give me my litmus test as to whether or not to continue engaging with them. Because if they can't, if they can't listen to reason, if they've already made their mind up, there's no point in me talking to them. You were interviewed for Alex Needon's Bad News. I will say that was the first time that I actually saw, saw you outside of Twitter. The way I imagined you as, as a person is somebody who's like, you know, just like has a lot, of, a lot of steel in the backbone. And you go in there and you wade into like the fights with the trolls and the tourists and not, not. And it seems like it's almost like, it's almost like you're Supergirl. The bullets bounce off of you. But there was a point. There was a point when you were talking about Trans Day of Remembrance. When you started to tear up. Yeah. I started to tear up as well. Where, where does this get hard for you? Is there a time when you, you log off Twitter and you're just like, can't these people just let us live? Where does it get hard? Um, so I've talked about it a little bit on Twitter, but um, both my parents committed suicide. So anything that revolves around suicides, especially trans people suicides, is pretty hard for me. And that tends to, yeah, hit me in, in the wrong place and I need to log off and take some time out. Uh, and that's also difficult because being a fairly public trans face means that sometimes some really desperate trans people will message me looking for help and support. And sometimes I can't give it to them because this is, this is the place where I'm no good, unfortunately. <laughs> now, but on the other side, you've, be, you've become an inspiration to a lot of people. Uh, you're, li- you're, inter- you're being interviewed by one of them right now. And I know I appreciate what you do. It gives me the strength to keep doing what I'm doing. But at the same time, one thing I noticed is you use a lot of humor. I mean, you get, you, you kind of, you stick that. I mean, is that kind of, how did that become part of your repertoire that, because I've noticed you stick, you know how to stick that knife in pretty good. (laughs) Um, it helped me through my early transition when times were really dark it was my sense of humor it got me through everything I'd have to find like the hilarious and ludicrous side in really shitty situations because once again it's the you either laugh or it kills you so I choose to laugh <laughs> oh absolutely and I think you know that Carly does trans lifeline here in the US where she is counseling people and she is definitely someone who understands the power of laughter. Some people call it the best medicine. And, you know, during that time when I had the most struggles, I had a doctor who said to me, why are you laughing? Why do you think this is funny? This isn't funny. This is really serious that you're going through this gender dysphoria. And I said, 
I'd rather laugh than die. I'd rather laugh than cry. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a function of how we cope, right? Absolutely. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Where will we find you in five years? What's your five-year plan? Do you expect um, uh, maybe moving into other novels for adults or what do you, what do you, what do you hope to do? Um, I'm actually, I've just started a, I'm not sure whether it's going to be a young adult or just adult um, fantasy novel, which is about a young trans woman. So um, yeah, I'm writing that at the moment. I'm, I'm world building and I'm brainstorming everything about the, the setting and trying to get everything right so that I can write the story as perfectly as possible and in a, in a way that will put across the trans narrative in a really sympathetic way so that when cis people read it, they can fairly authentically experience what it's like to be trans. In the other people we've interviewed from your country, the rest of the world loves Jacinda Ardern. Oh, yeah. But New Zealanders are like, eh, she's a prime minister. Big whoop. You know? Oh, no. But what's it like for people in the country to realize that you probably have the most popular head of state in the world right now? I think people are starting to realize that now that like they're watching how the rest of the world is reacting to Jacinda and in crisis. Um, God, I can't remember them all. She, she's got us or at least three, three crises. Christchurch. Uh, yeah, Christchurch. Yeah. Christchurch, um, yeah. yeah. Christchurch shoot, mosque shooting. Um, and then Fakari, White Island. Um, some other generalized shit that's been going on um she is pretty fucking amazing um like she's dealt with a lot in her first term as prime minister well i'm not sure i can conquer the accent but maybe i should expand my horizons for moving (laughs) how have you gotten through this pandemic Uh, we've been pretty fortunate over here um our longest lockdown period was oh gosh i can't remember it i've pretty much forgotten it already because it was it was very short compared to the rest of the world. Um, we locked down our borders. We went into full-on staying at home. We got everything under control. And yeah, and then once we had the cases down to a bare minimum, everyone could go back to normal pretty much. And we've had some, we've had a second lockdown, but it hasn't been nearly as bad because we've gotten much better at contact tracing. Um, we know what we're doing. We've got managed isolation facilities and yeah, we just got it sorted. So it hasn't really affected us very much over here. I've got to say. All the people that have, that have pretty much engineered the coronavirus response in New Zealand. Do you think us Americans can borrow them for a little bit? We could, we could really use the help. <laughs> we would love to lend them to you, but I think your stupid um, president would probably reject them. That is Caitlin Spice being Caitlin Spice right there. This is what this is what you get when you read her Twitter. And, and why don't you share with everybody your Twitter handle so we all know? Oh, it's just at Kate Spice, C-A-T-E-S-P-I-C-E. And we'll make sure we share it on our social for the Transporter Room and on Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you very much. What's the one thing that you want the cis people in the movable middle around the world, because we do have a global audience. What is the one thing they need to know about trans people in your mind? They need to know that there are probably trans people in their life currently and trans people who will come into their life later, whether they be their children or their nieces and nephews or their grandchildren. 
and they're going to need to support those people. And if they're involved in the rollback of trans people's rights, they're really going to regret it later when these things start impacting their family members. I would be remiss, though, if I don't get this out, because there's, there's one other thing, just something light to end it on. On your Twitter, one thing you do besides skewer turfs is skewer shish kebabs and put together these extravagant dishes. The, oh, yeah, food, porn, the food porn is unreal. <laughs> what's the, what is the You're next, making me hungry. What's the next culinary delight I'm going to see there? What's the next oh, thing you're going to be grooving to? Well, I just started making my own hot wing sauce. So Ooh. I'm currently doing a ferment and that's going to be done on next Sunday. So stay tuned for next Sunday. I will be sampling my new wing sauce. And if it's good, then I might be sending it out to some friends. Awesome. Oh, I, I love food porn. <laughs> Her so Twitter, Caitlin's Twitter page has a ton of it. Let me tell you. <laughs> And, and before uh, we move on, I wanted to just add to your um, message to people who don't know that they have trans people in their lives. Our Chris Mosier here in the States had a meme that I helped him create. And it was when we were battling these laws that would restrict trans people from using the public accommodations, the restrooms. And his message was, you've already peed next to a trans woman. You just don't know it. And you were fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's true. Well, Caitlin, thank you for joining thank you for joining us here in the transporter room. What a delight. This was this was above everything I thought it would be. I thought oh. this would be big, but this well, Carly's was, been fangirling on you for quite some oh, time. Absolutely. I have been. You're you both probably, wonderful. So and you got you. a new follower here, so thank you very much. We we're grateful for you taking the time out of your busy afternoon while we are, um, you know, dealing with the time difference and everything else. <laughs> and thank you for putting up with my ramblings. Oh, no, not at all. Oh, we, that's no. that's what we're here for. We are Rambling Central. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we do. Carly, set the coordinates for Wellington, New Zealand, and Beamer back down. Beamer. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future, Caitlin Spice. Thank you Thanks, much. Caitlin. Being back, being back down to Wellington, New Zealand. Carly has been an adventure and a fun and a fun episode. You oh. find the most unusual and interesting guests, and I'm so grateful oh. to have your booking skills getting us. Our, <laughs> well, our I'll tell you, this is, is broadened. You know. Well, this is one I've wanted for quite some time because I've read I've read the, some of Caitlin's work. I mean, these are very beautiful. Like I said, it is a, it's a very classic form of fantasy. Let's make sure we put the links on our Facebook and Twitter page so that folks can find her as well. And, but the biggest thing for me is just the boldness and the courage. When my tank is empty, I go to, I go to, I go to her Twitter page and read her say once a day, every day. The law of my country says I'm female and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And I'm like, yes. And that, <laughs> and that, and that right there, it's that boldness that not only, that's not only won me over, it's, it's bolstered a lot of trans people, not just in New Zealand, but also around the world. I mean, this is a person, an activist with quite a worldwide following, at least in the Twitter sphere. And well, let me that's quote- why I want to hear let me quote Rogue One. Rebellions are built on hope. 
and we still have it. Thank you, Carly. I'll see you next week on the Transporter Room. Live long and prosper.